Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. We're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With the new updated site and interface, even with more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. BetOnline. Where the game starts. Tom Looney with Fox Sports Radio. And he is the co-host to the JT The Brick Show nightly on Fox Sports Radio. It's a great challenge about interviewing someone who is also one of your peers and one of your fellow radio folks is to keep things going and talk about things non-related to what he's known for. In other words, like Tom Looney is a sports guy. So if we inundate the interview with nothing but sports questions, in the case of Tom Looney, he would probably just get bored and it would be so monotonous to him. I mean, his background, he was a former uh, art gallery owner. He's big into street art, fine art. The Renaissance period was his... uh, specialty he's big into fitness and also he was a restaurateur and and owned a restaurant in venice beach in abbott kenny before the blow up of the early 2000s of rekindling the artistic aspect of living around that area the other thing that you should really recognize is the difficulty of being on radio full-time that is the hardest thing. Everyone from Track Life, Dash Radio, and I know people on Sirius XM that are on radio, but they're not paid. So he is part of that crew, that, that part of that era that controls the airwaves and gets paid. This is a, a friend of Zach who jumps in right at the 30-minute mark so I can go ahead and get to know Looney for a little bit and dictate the pace. But this this interview and conversation went all the way from why he moved from the west side to the east side, how he got his appreciation for art, what was it like running a restaurant and some of the stories as far as for his restaurant staff. And also, the great thing about Tom Looney is, is he had the balls to move from Penn State right after graduating from Penn State to L.A. A lot of people from smaller towns, you know, the story is to be comfortable. Why not be an on-air talent in Pennsylvania? But no, he had the balls to move to Los Angeles with just $300 in his pocket and pursue a career in entertainment. So we present you Tom Looney of Fox Sports Radio. Yeah, there's a a parking spot out front. Uh, Well... I don't know if that is actually an east side or luck kind of thing. Like, I almost feel like a lot of people who live in the east side, they seem to have, like, the savvy 
yes. about parking, right? Well, yeah, it's it's well, I just think it's an important thing in life that you don't. The big house can be for you. The parking spot up. Front. Are we are we rolling? Yeah. Well, the big parking, the good parking spot can be for you. Why not the winning lottery ticket can be for you? You should always live life as though the odds don't apply to you. Absolutely. That's a that's a there great was, way to think. Today there was a detour. There was all kinds of traffic. I wasn't worried. I knew I'd get a spot up close. Do you frequent out here in downtown LA? Yes, I love Little Tokyo. Yes, uh, Umasa is my favorite ah. sushi place on earth. But they used to be open. They used to really cater, I think, to uh, tourists from Japan and so they were, who had jet lag. So they used to stay open until 2 or 3 in the morning. Sure. All the time. Now they don't. Now they have old white people hours. They close at like 10 o'clock. So I go to Sushi Enya on, it, on, uh, on first, my new, my new favorite place. Oh, I've never been there. It's really good. Okay. And they got the personal touch and Sean, the guy... He's actually Japanese, and his name is Sean. Okay. Uh, the, guy, <laughs> the guy who runs the place is there all the time, and that's always a good sign. Did you want too. some water, by the way? Are you good? Um, sure. Here, here's... Yeah, I'm in ketosis right now. Do you know what ketosis is? No, not at all. Please enlighten. It's when you eat protein but very little carbs, mm-hmm. so your body's constantly... You're absolutely in shape, uh, man. You're, yeah, you're, yeah, but I, don't, I have a body dysmorphia. You know how... There's the 13-year-old girl who weighs 110 pounds, but she looks in the mirror and sees a 300-pound fat pig. Sure. I'm that girl. It's like <laughs> the antithesis of shallow how almost, uh, right? So, yeah. And so I'm always, so Monday through Friday, I try to stay in ketosis, which means high-protein, low-carbs, eating clean. You know, I'm, I'm diabetic myself, and at the age of 40, I recall people talking about what your diet should be since I was young. That South Beach diet has been established since like the late sixties. Uh-huh. Well, it's not a diet; it's a lifestyle. God damn it! <laughs> right. I, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's great. The way I eat is great for diabetics because if you if you start to feel a little lightheaded, instead of having a glass of orange juice like people used to give their grandmother who was diabetic, you have a piece of chicken. Ah, it's a real. It, the, the great thing about high protein, lower carbs, at least for me, is I do it also. As a mood stabilizer, I want to be easy to live with. I want to be easy to work with. I love people. I would like to have them love me back. Sure. And so that's really personality-based. <laughs> and so in order to have a nice one, I try to keep my body in good shape and keeps my mind in good shape and keeps my moods kind of uh, stabilized. So when you go on a date, do you go checklist? Uh, are you big into protein? Check. Oh, no. Are you I a don't pasta th- It's eater? for me. It's all about – It's. I don't think – I often think, too, when it comes to dating, when it comes to love, you don't have to have anything in common with somebody other than the human experience. I think the less you have in common, why would they have to be interested even in what you do for a living? Do you really want to come home and have when someone talk to you about your boss? Or is it better to come home and have your significant other not even know who your boss is? That way you don't even have to talk about your boss. Right. Well, sometimes <laughs> I thought in the very beginning stages when I was DJing at Sirius in uh-huh. New York... Uh, I thought the commonality would help because I was an overnight guy. Right. Yeah. So it's like, oh, no, you don't understand the lifestyle. But as I age, it's like you're absolutely correct. Like I'd almost be better off dating a ceramics instructor. <laughs> exactly. At yes. This point, you know, well, love is mystical and magical and it doesn't have to be the only common thing you have to have for a relationship, whether it's a sexual relationship or friendship uh, is, is love. And friendship is is probably more magical 
than any other kind of relationship because it's not because it's by choice. Sure, like adopted love is always far more passionate. When people adopt their religions, they're far more into it than people are born into their religions. And our mother and father weren't brother and sister for most of us, so uh, they uh, uh, they adopted each other. And the, adop- the what we do with our closest friends who we choose to love that's pretty magical, especially when there's no sexual component to it or no biological component. It's just magic. But how much into, I hate to use the evil four-letter word term. ESPN? Right. <laughs> <laughs> how much is it on the blame pie is is uh, sexual chemistry part of the equation? How much in, in your world? You mean even even when it's for just friendship too? Or, or when you're dating We're talking Freudian stuff here? No, not... Oh, not, oh okay. I'm not very hipsterish like that. Too ironic to be ironic. Yeah, We're not going to be talking about Descartes or <laughs> okay, good. Pythagorean theory. Oh, I think um, when it comes to men, especially, we're visually driven creatures. So usually, initially, there, initially, there always has to be something incredibly superficial about the about right. the uh, the attraction. That's just the way we are. We're visually driven. I don't know if we should even apologize for it. We have four basic v- moods that are just beautiful as men: hungry and horny, and Lightness and dark. Those ah. are our four moods. <laughs> How and simple are we? Yes. Huh? And there's, there's, yeah, right. We have pathetic egos that need to be stroked. And sometimes it Aside has, from other things. Yes, stroke, exactly. Right? And uh, I just wanted to leave it there, Charles. <laughs> Nevertheless, <laughs> we do, in our ego, sometimes that's just all we need is to have that ego fulfilled, whether it's sexually or just the flirting that goes on. And it doesn't mean we're even in love with the person or that we don't love our wife and children or whomever at home right. just because we might to need to flirt at 7-Eleven. Because chapterially, we're supposed to have kids and, and be married, right? My favorite part of that statement that you just made is chapterially. I love that you word. Like that? Yes. I kind of pseudo-invented it. Uh, I'm a word guy. I talked to Miriam Webster, but you spelled <laughs> Miriam all my life. Oh, uh, she was such Single a whore, whore, but a brilliant whore. <laughs> whore for words. Too. Yes. Oh, I know. Word whore, especially. But physical whore first. Uh, uh, all of the above. <laughs> Look up whore in the dictionary and you see Miriam Webster's picture. With like a Star Trek symbol. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because she's probably a geekoid also. Oh, of course. Any 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 word person's a geekoid and drives everybody else crazy. When you love words. And you participate in that lifestyle. People are always asking you, are you an English teacher or something? Because no, people, just... don't, people don't care about being smart or using words for the most part uh, uh, properly. They don't. Well, I, I, I've been working with Zach uh, both on Sirius and here on Track Life. Like right. episodes gets played. Let me say it's great to be here on Track Life. You think so? Yes. You like this vibe? This I This kind of... I just saw a documentary on Michael Jackson you have to paint the picture for the listener, a Michael Jackson thriller album sitting here. Look at you flexing your radio mic. And, uh, and it was one of the great, it was a documentary about, you know, as if there isn't enough of them out there, but it was really good. Documentary on Michael Jackson, nevertheless. I, I think he and Tina Turner are probably the most, uh, you can get volumes and volumes of stories. The Rolling Stones wouldn't be who they are without Tina Turner because mm. they used to warm up. Ike and Tina Turner used to warm up for the Rolling Stones and in the 60s. And all of a sudden, the Stones had to get rid of them because they were too good. Yep. And, but one of the things that during that whole growth process for the Rolling Stones, Tina Turner 
took Mick Jagger aside and said, you just can't stand there and sing. That's boring. So she taught him some moves. So a lot of those moves he does and those kind of gender-fluid moves sure. that Mick Jagger does, yeah, those are Tina Turner moves. That's why it's part masculine, part feminine, you know, part gay, part straight. All that stuff, that, that universal appeal, uh, sexual appeal that Mick Jagger has on stage, not to mention that he never gained an ounce of weight his entire life and still looks 16 when he takes his shirt off. But uh, I don't know if it was snorting cocaine or running long distances. Before before uh, tours, he used to run eight miles a day. So he was probably a lot more sober than pe- than he would li- even like uh, people to believe. Either that, that or an Asian metabolism. Yes, also. there you go. God damn it. And, <laughs> and he, yes, yeah, so a lot of his moves that he has perfected over the years, those weird chicken moves. Now watch her in concert, and then you'll say, oh, yeah, it's the same shit. So are you saying by osmosis... Uh, the soul was earned by Mick Jagger through Tina Turner. Tina Turner, yes. Ah, absolutely. I've never heard that. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. I think I'm a very autodidactic man. You will hear things today within this hour that you've never heard before. You're the professional. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. You're, uh, you're a fine judge of professionalism. Oh, th- uh, blindfold and and then the Wayne scale right now. Uh, I wanted to ask you, coming from. A smaller university, like, well, not small, but, you know, Penn State. Mm-hmm. And you decide to move to this is L.A. no small university, by Right, me. right. Did, I mean, did you mention who you were talking to yet, Charles? Or was that before I came in? Did you start before I came in? Start what? I just walked in and sat down and we started talking. That's what it's about. Okay, good. That's satellite radio Did training. you mention it was Tom Looney from Fox Sports Radio? Oh, I will, I will do an intro. Will you do an intro? I'll okay, do an good. intro. All of a sudden, when we were talking about male ego, that kicked in that I hadn't mentioned who I was or that you hadn't mentioned who I oh, was. Oh, no, I'll do an intro to it. I came from originally from Top 40 Radio. I started out in Top 40. So in Top 40 Radio, there was like an egg timer that uh, in our heads where if you didn't say your name and the call letters at the beginning and end of every sentence, sure. then, then you'd get fired. So sorry, I and, just regressed that. And you needed or like I digressed that. Two, different, two, three different ways of telling the hour. 15 minutes after 12 o'clock? Oh, no. 45 minutes before one? I, I, I got rid of that close cliches. That was awful. You just talk how people talk. 10 after. <laughs> That's all you had to say. Th- there yeah, it it's is. It's about 10 after 2. Yeah, I started giving it more casually rather than that formal way. Right. 15 minutes after the hour of 2 o'clock. That's what beginning DJs would do so they could, they could just talk longer. Because if you say quarter after 2, well, that takes a second. But if you say 15 minutes after the hour of 2 o'clock, that takes five seconds. How much of that do you feel, though, as a programming director? And not to delve too deep into, like, PPM. For, for you listening, you know, we're talking about the personal people meter. That's what I'm referencing to, where it's like the electronic diary. Yeah. But how much it's of ratings based on, you know, based on digital spying about what you're listening sure. to? Okay, what was the question? But, but how much of that, of the announcing style, is influenced because of what's been oh that's how much changed that over is, the years right. absolutely ahead when you hear whether it's talk radio whether it's indie rock whether it's what they called top 40 radio which in the industry is called chr the pop music stations playing bruno mars and lady gaga etc um and for los angeles reference power 106 or kiss fm or if it's sports talk radio or talk radio you're always doing what they call teasing ahead so that's what you'll see it. You'll see it. News has been doing it on television forever. Sure. Coming up next, Devil Baby Born with Horns. But first, these messages. And so they keep you holding something to 
tease you to hold you through the commercials. And you see it, television does it great with television shows like Cold Case Files or whatever you're watching. They tease you ahead, so you don't want to you don't want to tune away. And so, so yeah, people meters have changed that even more. So what led you from music to get into sports talk? It was just kind of a, a converging of two interests. I always loved, and probably it was the O.J. Simpson trial to be, uh, give you a, a specific answer to it. Look at you, Sig, for me. I have I had done every format in radio except talk radio, and uh, and I left music radio to move to L.A. to be an actor, and I opened up a restaurant, and while that was all happening. Uh, some person mysteriously killed O.J. Simpson's wife sure. and uh, Ronald Goldman, and I loved O.J. Simpson, so I was fascinated by that trial. I wanted him to be innocent, so I was another defense lawyer sitting at home, and because I owned a restaurant, I could watch every day of it uh, on TV And since I was my own boss. And I would drive around L.A., listening to talk radio, and, I, and I'd watch talk television and hard copy, and I'd realize, oh, my God, I know more about this trial than anybody with a microphone. I got to be doing some talk radio. And so that's what got me back into talk radio. And I happen to like sports. And so that's how that happened. Man, uh, talking about O.J. Simpson, are you watching the new series on FX? Yes, I am watching it did religiously. Castle, did, oh, okay. So you caught the last. Yes. It's a Tuesday night date night for me. I, I watch it every, as soon as I get home every Tuesday night. Did you ever suspect it back then? That Marsha Clark and Darden had may may have had something going on. They did have something going they on. Did. They did do the hobbledoo gaga. Yes, you know why I knew that because I read every one of their books from Jeffrey Tubin to Lawrence Schiller to Marsha Clark and Chris Darden to Robert Shapiro, and um, yeah, and and one of them admitted in their books that they had a relationship. I think it was Christopher Darden because I don't think I read hers. I think if you work with someone that often and that frequent. It's bound to happen. I almost feel I worked like. at the Sidewalk Cafe in Venice Beach. Okay. We all had sex with each other. Sure. Well, that, it was that, the big cocaine days, too. We'd all get high and just have sex with each other. Yes. You, and that's, that was just my experience. When people in their 20s, they weren't in their 20s. But just for an example, to use my life and a lot of people's life, as you're growing, you're a lot of times socializing with people you work with. You're building your new relationships and that includes sexual relationships. A lot of companies have rules against dating people at work. Those rules never work. Absolutely no. no. I've had no. three relationships out of working yes. in a work environment. Yeah, you you fall in love with someone as a human being or as a professional associate, and, and those feelings can be sexualized. Do you feel that, well, you already mentioned that OJ, you 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 were rooting for OJ to be innocent at the time. Yeah, yes. At that time, and I also thought it was good for talk radio. If you're not sure, the fodder is unlimited. I, was, you know? I wasn't thinking about uh, good versus evil. I was just thinking about what was good for talk radio. If if when he was, was found not guilty, I was like, <laughs> I put my hands in the air like a the world heavyweight champion and just knocked somebody out, and thought this is going to be great for talk radio. Terribly selfish. Uh, response, but that was my one of my responses. Do you still feel the same that he he's innocent? Oh no, I never felt as though I don't think okay. I felt as though as I was looking. I kept looking for 
different re- I, I I was really disappointed that the fact why did the shoe size have to be the same that really bothered me the bloody shoe print why did it have to be a size 10 and a half I know there's a lot of people in the world with size 10 and a half and why did some of his blood happen to be at the scene and elsewhere now I do know that the LAPD has a long history of corruption and helping evidence along even when people are guilty and I absolutely do believe that they did that because it was a habit, not knowing they didn't know it was going to be that was, who would ever know that that was going to be as big as it was. And Johnny Cochran, being a former assistant D.A. in charge of investigating crooked cops, knew their tricks. So that was he just that was part of the dream team. And, you know, interesting. And O.J., interestingly, O.J. didn't want Johnny Cochran as his Attorney, he wanted Jerry Spence, a Wyoming guy who wore white Wyoming guy who wore cowboy hats and cowboy boots. How much of that do you feel was more racial than what was racial? Than something out of meritocracy. Boy, well, I want someone white to represent me to help. Oh me. no, he was he 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 was like when he said he's not black, he's not white. He's OJ. Sure, he, he lived in he he wasn't a tribal guy. Uh, a lot of people a lot of people racialized that as he turned his back on his community. People never say that to Bruce Springsteen. Who you know, who would he turn his did Bruce Springsteen turn his back on the white community because he never gives money back to New Jersey or doesn't live Yeah, doesn't, I just see him as a Jerseyite. So. Right, right. Or you know, oh, Oscar De La Hoya turned his back on East LA. Well, no, he bought a mansion somewhere else because there's no mansions in East LA. Sure. And the, that community didn't really do that much for him other than give birth to him. It's kind of this weird racial thing we do in society. With non-whites, we, many of us in Americans, oh, we abhor the idea of socialism, but we want every rich minority athlete to give all of his money back to the people of the same color. Sure. it's real. We want them to be socialists. We just don't want ourselves to be socialists. But we want black people especially, but uh, Asians and Latinos too, to when they become rich and famous, to give their money back to their community. If that's not socialism, nothing is. But with white people, though, we admire when they keep it all themselves. I digress. Intensely, intensely put. But it's uh, when it comes to OJ, he was not back to your question about choosing Jerry Spence. No, it was a. That was the guy he liked the best. He really didn't see color. He could see it among his friends. Those were all decent people. Robert Kardashian was a decent person. That whole circle of friends was ruined uh, by uh, by OJ, and because they he, they were all decent. He led a decent life with decent friends. Who knows if it wasn't CTE, which we're just learning about, which the football players are suffering from, uh, unbeknownst to them all these years. And I think it would make sense considering how popular he was in L.A. There was not a bad story about him, what a great tipper he was. What an enjo- the bad stories only seem to seep out when someone does something bad. But really, in the overall picture, he was one of the most beloved broadcasters and athletes and movie stars in Hollywood at the time that it happened. And I think maybe from banging his head so often from Pop Warner through professional sure. ranks, it might have had something to do with it. I, I almost feel like O.J. was like Magic Johnson 1.0. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, he was a, a big precursor to Magic Johnson. No African-American had ever had been a major spokesperson. He was a spokesperson for Hertz, for a major United States corporation. He was considered, when they did focus groups, rather colorless. And that's the way he kind of lived his life, too. Do you feel, in regards to Christopher Darden? Mm-hmm. 
he was picked because Marsha Clark felt like, I feel like I can move better via the strength in numbers. Like, if I have a physical body that looks up to me, I should add him on. Do you well, think Marsha Clark could have first taken First of all, I, I think he was, uh, you know, he was a fine lawyer, and there was no reason why they shouldn't have picked him. And sometimes putting a black face there in the seat, you know, for some of the black jurors, people are tribal. I don't even think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. Let's pick the most qualified sure. black assistant DA we have, deputy DA we have, in order to uh, uh, win this case for the sake of good versus evil, to make try to make sure that the murderer uh, doesn't get off. Yeah, I don't think there's even anything wrong with that. People, uh, when you come to Los Angeles, I'm not a tribal person, but I'm not normal. And O.J. wasn't a tribal person. And he's you not are normal. not normal? Woo. I, uh, but, but most people, when they move to a new city, they want to go live in little Tokyo or Chinatown or little El Salvador or Koreatown, where everyone's from El Salvador. <laughs> I mean, <it's, laughs> but, um, or Oaxaca. But I, uh, it's amazing to me, too, about how this city changes. That's always fun when you go to places that got those names because of ethnic and racial pride. And then... Just like O.J., uh, a lot of um, people from Koreatown ran their businesses and uh, then bought houses in Brentwood <laughs> as soon as they could get out of Koreatown. They weren't turning their back on their community. They were just loading up their stuff and stepping on the gas and moving somewhere else where it wasn't as dangerous. Right. Uh, we, were, <laughs> we interviewed uh, Kimmy Lewis Davis. She's a part of the show, A Scandal. She's uh-huh. also a stand-up comedian. And the most common thing that she receives is, like, hatred for moving out of the hood. It's weird. It's, uh, well, other people only like to see you have a moderate amount of success. But there's nothing, there's no reason, just like I said about getting the good parking spot or buying a cool house or a cool condo. Are they supposed to be for other people of other ethnicities? Sure. Or are they supposed to be for me or for you? Absolutely your life. Yeah, exactly. And your goals. Why can't, if you're a preacher, why can't you have the biggest church? If you like cars, why can't you have the Cadillac or the Porsche? And there's nothing necessarily superficial about that or materialistic about that. It's about ego and self-esteem. We should all aspire to feel good about ourselves and love ourselves and think, this is for me. This good life's for me. A good job's for me. Um, this cool shirt's for me and not for other people. And this cool restaurant's for me, not for others. And why couldn't this cool neighborhood with these cool houses be for me and not just for all the white people that live there? So let me ask you. I'm, I'm going to go back in time. Okay. For a little bit. Hot tub time machine. Love there it. There it is. Here it is. Uh, so you opened a restaurant, but you started by working in the restaurant industry first. Yes. Isn't that the type of career or it becomes a career where it derails you from pursuing radio? Or was your mindset was still... I was lucky enough that a couple of things. First of all, I landed a Dayquil commercial, Nightquil for Nights, Dayquil for Days. So when you arrived, you you got <clears throat> SAG right away. Yes, yes. Good for you. Yeah, it's sometimes that's why people leave because of the catch twenty two of you can't be in SAG unless you've had a line. You can't have a line unless you're in SAG, and it's very very Absolutely. difficult. Um, got my SAG card right away. I was lucky. I did a Japanese beer commercial for BarbieCon. Uh, was Taft Hartley. Then after that, I got a commercial for Dayquil, Nightquil for nights, Dayquil for days. 
And I didn't know at the time, ignorance is bliss, that one of the most desirable commercials you can get in all of Hollywood is a cough medicine commercial. Do you know why? Please enlighten. No, I don't. Because who gets a cold? Everybody does. Exactly. So the demographics are everybody. So it runs all the time on every network. And you're getting check, 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 check. So it's And so I made a lot of money from that. And while I was working at the Sidewalk Cafe, I socked that money away. And a friend wanted to open up a, a coffee house. I didn't even know what markup was. But I knew I wanted to do it. And I knew I wanted to promote it. And I knew I could promote it and have fun and make it unique. And we opened it up and everybody came. And so that's how, why did I still have time to pursue sure. radio, television, or how, acting? how did you maintain that course? Well, because everybody came. And so then I had free time again. Usually when you open up a restaurant the first 10 or 20 years, you're there 24 hours Absolutely. a day. And we were open 24 hours a day. But everybody came. We could afford to hire employees really quickly so I could write and which is a very important to me. So I could sit home and write and watch pop culture and pay attention to everything in pop culture. It was when we only had VCRs then. Somebody could tape stuff. A lot of times you'd want to watch stuff live. And so uh, that really get, freed me up when the restaurant business usually bogs you down because at Van Gogh's here in Venice, everybody loved the concept and we uh, tripped onto this young chef who made incredible food that I didn't have to work that much. What type of food were you guys it serving? It was, um, well, before, it was eggs 24 hours, which is very important to me. Eggs are not breakfast, God damn it. They're <laughs> eggs. It's food. <laughs> Drives me crazy when people, uh, when restaurants use the word breakfast or breakfast served all day. Well, if it's served all day, it ain't breakfast. It's eggs. Totally. God, I mean, I mean late night Thai food. Ah, uh, yes. Deep fried eggs. Mm. Come on, man. Ah, because I'm a big egg nut. So anyway, so we had protein, carbohydrates, fat grams on the menu in the 90s, long before people were paying attention to all this stuff. But we were in Venice where there were a lot of bodybuilders, so bodybuilders loved it. And it was, we, it was really kind of high-end coffeehouse food, egg white omelets, uh, all fresh ingredients, and something that at the time coffee houses didn't have. They had scones. What the hell is a scone? And they're still trying to serve scones. And I wanted to serve food that people recognized in a coffee house, and it worked. Wow. And we were open 24 hours, too. And they liked it. And we did a lot of alternative advertising, advertising in different ethnic uh, magazines. That's when magazines were much bigger back then in the 90s. And, and uh, a lot of micro-demographics, you know, uh, lesbian magazines, gay magazines, not porn, but you know, the, the, the magazines that like, serve those communities. Um, and different black uh, and black advertising, and so it was. It was a, a great melting pot of uh, lifestyles and orientations and colors, and it was really cool, like a Martin Luther King dream of a, a of a coffee house, and it it really took off, and that gave me the free time to pursue whatever I wanted to do. Any stories about employees you had to go? Managing, hey, stop fucking her. You stop blowing oh, him. I would never tell them that. I'm not a hypocrite. No, oh. I, I told them, let your freak flag fly. That's oh. what I told them. Because I wanted interesting-looking, sexy people. If you want interesting-looking, sexy people, you can't tell them not to fuck each other. Sure. So I, uh, I had interesting... Look. Yeah, if somebody was a star and they came in, 
and the woman looked like Miss America, or the guy looked like you know a Playgirl model. They're hired before I even know if they ever worked in a restaurant. Of course, before. if there's somebody because you, know, you can teach people how to work in a restaurant. I'm not teaching people how to do nuclear fusion. Uh, and so that was a, that was really important to us. No, I mean no. Let them, they, Any stories you care to share um, about your employees, or if not your experience? Uh, Previous to you owning a restaurant. I did not have sex with my employees after they were hired. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> How about that? Oh, I wish I could reel some more in. <laughs> We've had the, 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 the great food truck race guys grill them all. Uh, We've interviewed uh, Chef Eric Park, who had oh, um, Black Hog. And they just say that the restaurant biz is a drug within a drug. Yeah, it is. It is. There was a... Um, because of the a lot of times in the restaurant biz too it's people getting their lives together and making a good living sometimes before they realize what they want to do so a lot of times it is people between 20 and 40 and mostly in their 20s so the sexual vibe is real high and then people do more drugs in their 20s too than they do at other ages as well and so uh that when you say the drug within a drug, yeah, that's happening too, right? And and it's kissing cousin, if not it's it's sibling, is the bar industry. The oh yes, I mean that's well, even they are crazy. kissing cousins in a lot of ways too, because we were open twenty four hours, so bar bar people party late with each other. You know, when the bar closes at midnight or two. You're wide awake. People who work nine to five don't go to bed at ten after five, and people in the bar and restaurant business, when it's open late. They're wide awake when it closes, so they're drinking party all night together. Zach and I were talking about this on our previous episode that uh, a 4 a.m. Uh, proposition for bars to stay open till 4 a.m. in L.A. Oh, like it, a free country? That'd be great. <laughs> right. So I assume you you like that. Yes. Oh, yeah. I Why like is it. that? Because we were more cautionary and and thinking like, oh, my God, there's going to be far more DUIs, far more accidents. Maybe not, because a lot of times, a lot of more people are riding bikes now, and a lot of more people are partying locally. In L.A., That's you'll true. see places popping up, uh, even on Figueroa. I live in Highland Park, and there's a place on Figueroa. Figueroa has been a dump for 20 years. And now there's places on Figueroa, stay, you know, local bars with millennials who are you know, 20 to 40 years old of all backgrounds. Cause that's what Highland parks becoming of all orientations. And no one gives a crap about each other's ethnicity, racial profile or orientation, all party and having their broccoli and cauliflower and Brussels sprouts until two o'clock in the morning. I was just at the Highland park, <laughs> Northeast LA art walk. Oh, great. It was just it, the other night. It's really like, Two blocks, uh-huh. essentially, yeah, yes. and it looks like Little Williamsburg. It's, it's great, it's Zach. When you go ahead was, that, was, was that on York or on Figueroa? Uh, on York, yeah, York's great R- too. Right, and then we went. Uh, I guess they're renovating Mr. T's Bowl, which is on Fig. Uh huh. And yeah, they're renovating a lot of stuff on Figueroa. Right, absolutely, and I'm so excited about that. I'm curious though. A lot of your first tenure when you moved to L.A. was in the West Side in the Beach City. Yes. What made you decide to become an East Sider? Like, Zach, your brother lives in Montecito Heights? Yeah, closer to Rose Hills. Like, okay. we actually were watching uh, UFC 196 not far from your house. Right, yes. Yeah, Montecito Heights is a fancy name for Highland Park. It was like... The Hills Park. Well, what happened in Montecito Heights is... Montecito Heights is Highland Park above the freeway, above the 110 through the avenues. But during the 90s, especially when the avenues had an incredibly awful reputation... Sure. Um, 
they changed the name of that part of Highland Park to Montecito Heights. So it's the hills above Highland Park, which have always been Highland Park, and now all of a sudden they're called Montecito Heights because in the 90s they feared you know, the reputation of that from Highland Park would ruin the property values. Right. I would only touch Eagle Rock to have my brakes fixed. Yeah. And that was it. And that was it. Like Highland Park, right. oh, anytime after 6, 7 o'clock, uh-uh. No, no, no. Yeah, I, people non-whites. I mean, I'm sorry, non-Latinos were sure. afraid of the avenues, especially blacks, because there was a random killing there at one point in time in the 90s. And the wrong way killing. Somebody uh, took a wrong turn and went down the street, and some gangsters killed a nice family back in the 90s. And so those two big incidents really stained the reputation of Highland Park and kept people uh, from getting their brakes fixed there. Did you, you know? ever get to witness this, by the way? Um, though you're plenty younger. When I was younger, no. Yeah. Like uh, my brother, though. Like uh, if you guys actually, I was. Hi, I Zach. Hi, Tom. How's it going? Um, I remember talking to you about this. How in the news uh, there is two girls that got shot at the apartments. Well, they got shot in the uh, in Deb's Park. Yes. Yeah, Deb's Park, and uh, my brother lives up the hill from that, and so it's just crazy to see like. Like, he drives up, like, this nice mansion-looking place, and then if you go down the hill, like, there it is, like, a person that could literally get run through the apartment, get stabbed, or, like, shot at any yeah, time. Yeah, there is a nine—that that freaked people out, because there's a 900-acre park where a lot of people do walking and running, and I do, too, and run, run the hills, and two girls were found down on the Rose Hill side, uh, dead— uh, and it created a stir. Was there a serial killer? You know, all, all the conspiracy theories came up. What was interesting was I looked at their Facebook. I said, oh, okay, it's not a serial killer. It's one of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just and a speeder from what, the east side. Yeah, which is what it was. It was It was these, God bless these beautiful girls who make silly decisions. You know, girls don't like nice boys a lot of times. And I looked at their friends, and there's these... You know, boys showing off their abs, taking selfies in juvie. <laughs> and right. Like, okay. Hug life. Yeah. Not yes. even hug life. Hug life. Because <laughs> I'm from this era it's, of millennial. Uh, right. So um, so I, I, I figured it out pretty quickly, and so did the cops. Yeah. I, I mean, like Diamond Ranch, which is over in Pomona, they don't call themselves Pomona. Like, it's actually like Phillips Ranch. Uh-huh. So, like, the Diamond Ranch doesn't want to be, like, thrown in with the other high schools such as Ganesha or Pomona. The schools that most likely will have students go towards a continuation school. Because people think edgy. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, what brought you to Highland Park then, since you were, like, a Venetian? I, I know. For so long. Well, a couple of different things, including romance, turned me on to that area. And Highland Park, I always had. A great love of that area because it was also kind of secretive. Nobody ever usually knows sure. where it is. You mentioned yeah. Highland Park to anybody and Eagle Rock west of downtown. Yeah, and they don't know where the hell it is, and I kind of like that. Yeah. So, and it's a great, I, and I love the history of any city that I live in and all the oldest stuff. If you see the movie Changeling, that all took sure. place in Lincoln Heights and Highland Park, and if all the the first police station was on York. And so a lot of the ancient stuff from L.A. And what's great about this city, and what I'm talking about is stuff that's 100 or 150 years old. It's not like living in Rome. But <laughs> the most ancient stuff in L.A., a lot of it's in Highland Park, which is pretty cool. Are you pretty much an, uh, are you an East Sider for life at this point? I don't know. If, no, an East Sider for life? No. I might be a, 
I, I, I might do another, take another adventure in this life. I might be a Waikiki guy for life. <laughs> Who but knows? You are an Angelino for life. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I, when I talked about adopted love, absolutely. I'm an Angelino for life. I, I love I, this city. I feel like a lot of people who are local to L.A., they don't romance the city enough. I, that's why I talked about religion. People don't people don't usually romance their religion unless they adopt the religion. Sure. People, True. Just, uh, people, uh, just like when I said our mothers and fathers were brothers and sisters, adopted love is far more zealous. I adopted this city, and I love it a lot more than the city I grew up in. The city I grew up in, I, I had no choice. This one I adopted. <laughs> I, I almost feel like any major metropolitan that gets occupied by transients, that's what makes it so vibrant. Like, right. Like New York is amazing. If I could only afford and I'm because I'm in my 40s and I'm uh, injured all over my body, I can't take like the winters up out there anymore. Oh, I know. I understand that. Yeah. New York is a great, great city, too. Love and that's the, the perfect example of a city that's deeply loved by those who adopted it. Because it's not a white city, it's not a black city, it's a big Italian and Jewish city, but nevertheless, they didn't, they weren't, they they came from somewhere else. Big Puerto Rican city, sure, Dominican well, Puerto Ricans for the most part, and people from uh, Dominicans originally came from Puerto Rico and the Dominican right. Republic. Even right. if they were born in New York, it's a city where that's been adopted by people of other ethnicities and racial groups, and so it's all outsiders, and so is L.A. That's what makes it cool. And here in L.A., what makes it cool is we're in small towns many times, which all where people look alike. You're really only afraid of someone who looks different. In Los Angeles, we're only afraid of bad people. Someone looks different. We're used to it. Right. (laughs) And uh, it's just, uh, is this person going to harm me? If it's a guy in a dress or somebody of another ethnic or racial background, (laughs) you're only wondering... Is this person harmful? And when you think, when you realize no, then you're cool, right? With that person. But I almost feel like, that, to complement your point, like people from North Carolina, South Carolina, like someone like Aziz Ansari, who was born and raised there. Uh huh. It, it, it's so amazing how someone can look at the majority culture, wherever right. you're at, and go, you know what? Um, I, I'm just different because I'm of East Indian culture, but by or by ethnicity, but in culturation wise, I'm from South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. You and know, that, yeah, so, and that's 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 also beautiful to see that too, like uh, when that happens with with people, and and it's beautiful. To, it's beautiful to meet people who are born and raised in a smaller area, but still know the rest of the world and know they're from a smaller area, rather than thinking the whole world is their smaller area. Like when we have friends who aren't racists who aren't haters, but they grew up the sons and daughters of racists and haters. They're far more fascinating to me than... I think that's far more interesting. I I grew up with a mother who taught me not to be that way. Good for you. What about people who grew up with parents who taught them to be that way, and then they evolved? Yeah, I I find them far more interesting and admirable. Yeah, I almost feel like it's so archaic you're almost like a personality dinosaur if you can't accept separation like i was in singapore a couple of years back Mm -hmm. and the the makeup of whites chinese malaysian and east indians it was just amazing that's a pretty amazing test case city in so many ways i mean country 
country. Sure. In Singapore. It because, being a trading port where you have the British, the Bombay company was there for like years. And the, the way they kind of, in a uh, very utopian way, built that country. Not perfect by any means, but boy, people not. who live there love it. And people who go there really love how organized and peaceful it is. In Singapore, they wouldn't allow what we allow. They wouldn't have people in tents living at the park. And if people, if people do live in a tent at the park in Singapore and they cough, they go grab that guy and they take him to the hospital. They don't want sick, sick people living in the street. They immediately give them health care. Sure. So they're not coughing on the people who are choosing not to live in a tent on the street. Is it because it's like a precaution of like the zombie apocalypse or something? Or is it because like they genuinely do care? Progressive societies give their citizens health care. It's because they live in a progressive society. We just like to think we do. And what what Uh, I was trying to tie in with what Tom was saying, you know, it's just if you come from different backgrounds and you make up a metropolitan or a city. Right. And this is from a completely different continent. But to to further, you know, back up your point, they they come with this systematic culture where it's like, no, 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 you're not this. You're not that. We're all one. This is Singapore. Don't chew gum. Right. <laughs> don't chew gum. Yeah, it can be very, very paternal in that way, yes. Right. right. And that uh, way you don't sit in it on the subway. And oh my God, Tom, the food. Yeah. It's my that, brother's my brother spent a lot of time there. My brother raves about it. The Chinese, Malaysian, Indian blend with some you know. British. Oh my God, it's absolutely <laughs> incredible. Are, are you a big foodie? Yes. Mm. <laughs> which which is kind of which foodies hate when I say that. Considering well, it's, it's the worst thing. It's like calling a hipster a hipster. So right. I apologize. Well, that. I, yeah. Right, because though of the weightlifting and the running and paying so close attention to what I'm eating, foodies, especially a lot of foodies, have trouble with their weight too. Don't like of when I say I'm a foodie, being a lean mean machine that I am. Dude, uh, <laughs> Adam Richmond. Uh, the comedian? Yeah, the guy who the, the the guy who has a show on the Travel Channel where uh-huh. it's man versus food. Oh yes, he lost so much weight because it was going to kill him. Yeah, his show format. I just saw Bourdain, Anthony Bourdain. Love that dude. I know. He does it's, it right. Oh my god, the that's best job the ever. Yeah, I know. And you know another guy that's got the best job ever. Did you ever see Rick Steves on PBS? No. He's this very small man, rather effeminate, <laughs> and he goes all over the world. It's a brilliant show that teaches you how to travel cheaply, and and and, and it's what would also I found fascinating. In the you know when you prejudge, as we all try not to do, but <laughs> sure, it happens. But we do. And one day he he was on the show and he brought his his son and his daughter. I went son and daughter. I couldn't believe it. But, uh, <laughs> because right because he's rather small and kind of effeminate, but. You know, you can't judge the book by its cover, and it's a gr- another great travel show, but he doesn't have the testosterone of uh, of Anthony Bourdain. I like Anthony Bourdain's style, to go to Libya after it falls and have some food with people on rubble. Trains in jiu-jitsu at Woo! the age of 60. Yeah, yeah, and maybe that's why he's lost the weight. I saw him, because what made me think of that is I saw him on some talk show, and he had lost weight. Now, can I ask you this question uh, since you talked about judging books? Talk show. Ask me. All right. With judging books by the cover, Steve Mason from ESPN recently came out. Yes. What did you have to say about that? Like, how big was that for you? Like, sports talk? Well, it's it's obviously big for him. It's difficult because in sports casting, you're giving opinions, and he's doing it three and four hours a day all these years. Everybody thinks they can do it. 
So when you're huh. give, when you're giving opinions on sports, um, you're going to be wrong a lot. Right. And people's when you're a woman and doing it, many times they blame it on your vagina. If you're a guy and doing it, and then you come out and, uh, as gay, people will blame it on your sexual orientation. Oh, okay. That's why he doesn't know what he's talking about. That's why he was wrong about the Warrior game. I knew the <laughs> Lakers would win. He said they would lose. It's because he's gay. So that's a difficult thing because you, for him, because and and, and I, I missed the the you know the big elephant in the room. And, no, I didn't miss oh. it. But when it comes to it's sports, so people immediately when you're ch- talking about judging the book by a cover would think, well, he's a sports guester. He's got to be straight. And hopefully and thankfully for S- Steve, people will learn that that's not the case. Cool. And, and part of the reason why people think like that is for generations, if not centuries, we've been kind of indoctrinated that all gays are feminine. All gays act like Richard Simmons. We can spot them. And the Apostle John, who sits to the right of Jesus at the Last Supper, is always painted as this very effeminate character. And some people say it's Mary. It's not Mary! But nevertheless, he's just always painted as a Mary. And, uh, and so, but that was of, over the course of all the years, that was our stereotype. And we're, we're learning now that, oh... We might have, the collective we. We might have been wrong about that. I'm at a point where it's it's such a non-issue. Like my best friend Warren, yeah. uh-huh. since I've known him since the age of 15, I knew he was gay and he didn't come out. But I was when he came out to me at like 20, like what do you think? I'm like, dude, I knew. Let's yeah, <laughs> let's go fucking let's go let's go to a gay bar. A couple of really cool things that are happening is that right with for the younger generation, it's like someone saying they're left-handed. Because they've grown up kind of learning, and thanks to the information age, that not all gays are ice skaters. And some of them are football players, etc. And when it comes to friendship, too, a lot of times, it's just something that's, when, as a child or when you're getting older and growing up together with friends, sometimes you do the math on friends, but you don't spend any time with it. And then if later, if they come out, it's, it's more about them releasing themselves from the chain of the secret than you being shocked. It happens to a lot of us. When Bruce Jenner announced that he wanted to be a woman, right? it was probably, that was for him, he had to do that for himself. The rest of us, over the course of, because he had been famous since the 70s, had kind of figured it out. And a lot, a lot you know, because people, that was a common conversation. Family Guy figured it out years ago and joked about it. Yeah. Um, so that was for him, and that's good. Because people need to be who they are. First of all, for you who's listening, uh, Tom Looney is wearing a wearing a very ill street art ish representation of L.A. Marilyn Manson with a bunch of Monroe. Tats. Marilyn Ma- Monroe. Monroe, sorry, excuse me. Uh, L.A. Dodger hat, and then you also mentioned a little bit about art. Before we get into classical art, because uh, or Renaissance art, okay, uh, which Zach mentioned that you were a big fan of, also. Uh, yes. He's a genius. In order, in order to be a talk show host, whether it's sports like I do or just talk talk radio in general, you have to be kind of a, a savant. Um, and everybody has a particular area of genius. I have 11. That's one of them. Um, what's your opinion about street art <laughs> before we delve into... Oh, my God, it's garbage! <laughs> street art, like any other art, has finally, is finally finding its own credibility, which is great. Uh, not every artist works in a studio 
and dies a pauper like Van Gogh. Uh, artists come in every different type of package, just like we were talking about gays coming in every different type of package. Artists come in every different type of package. Some are prison guards who paint on the side, like my friend Grubba. And others uh, are long-haired guys that live in Soho who live in a loft and paint stuff, and some do it on the street. Do you Love feel? Do you feel like, because right now it's closely tied to graffiti and the lineage of it right. being on the street, right. hence calling it street art. But if you have a street artist put it in a frame and, you know, and go the commerce route, will it be more acceptable? Or will, will the message be diluted because it's not in well, the street? Well, that's, that's like the indie rock question. You don't sure. want to be too popular or you won't be popular anymore. There's weird rules like that with sure. street art, just like there is with indie rock. Gee, I hope the Arctic monkeys don't get too popular because then they won't be popular anymore. Right. So um, <laughs> it's very confusing. But it was, well, and street art's confusing in a lot of different conflicts we have because many of us are brought up not to destroy other people's property. Or to paint on other people's property or city property, etc. So there's a conflict there, which I fully understand. But it doesn't mean we can't understand the the talent and the beauty that so many of these guys uh, possess. Right. Well, kind of, Go kind of going off of what you're saying right now, like wouldn't you say there's a difference between Banksy and the regular like street artist? Well, yeah, and some people street artists would call Banksy a sellout because he's so popular now. Right. Uh, you know, Banksy is. The Beatles of street art. And so, and who was ever more commercial success in the history of commercial success than the Beatles? So that would, that's, you know, I, so I bet you anything. I mean, that's probably the, uh, the opinion, even though he's a god in the street art community, uh, he's a god with an asterisk because he's too popular now. Right. Because, <laughs> you know, pretend Mona Lisa was never put together as an art piece. And if well, you see, you the can't Mona do Lisa. that with me sure. in the room. Sure, <laughs> uh, but what if the Mona Lisa was painted as a mural? You know, it replicated the exact same way. But how do people react to that versus well, an actual? They would have no reaction thing. because the Mona Lisa isn't popular or famous because of it. Because it's a great painting, that's a mistake. Or because of the smile, Mona Lisa is Khloe Kardashian. Mona Lisa is famous for being famous because a hundred years ago it was stolen. And it was stolen at a time where newspapers were never bigger than in the teens. And it was in 1912, 1913. And it was a front page story for a year. Where is the Mona Lisa? It was on the wall, not by itself, but with 50 other things at the Louvre. I love saying the Louvre. And uh, somebody stole it. An Italian janitor stole it, thought it belonged in Italy, and put it under his bed, then finally took it back to Milan, to the Uffizi Museum, and said, here, it's back in Italy where it belongs. And then they thanked him, and then they locked him in a room and called the cops. But for a year, the whole world was saying, where's the Mona Lisa? And a lot of parodies popped up with Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa with a mustache. So it's just the most famous painting in the world, and it wouldn't be as famous if it was painting on, painted on the side of a building, because that building may have been wrecked down by now, etc. The Last Supper, interestingly, nobody knows where it is. It's on a, a, the wall of a convent in Milan, so a lot less people have, have seen it because it never toured the world. Mona Lisa has toured, especially after that happened, sure. toured the world and has been around. Uh, the Last Supper is stuck on a wall. A lot of times you don't get as much fame if you're stuck on a wall because you can't tour it. 
You, know, you can't take it to the Getty. You can't take a convent to the Getty. What's your opinion about restoration on art pieces? Should they just be preserved and left alone? Well, like literally in a cube? Well, sometimes they're restored because they can't be preserved. Okay. So, so that becomes... Here's my thing. I feel like... And maybe it's just surface. My immediate reaction is I love when they keep these these things going and they restore these things like they've done. They fixed the Last Supper. Should they just let it deteriorate? I suppose there's people like... There's a, there's a certain group of people that would like to leave it that way and yeah there's a lot of opinions in the restoration community sure i just li- I, I like that they fixed it i've been there i've seen it i loved it because it feels like you're just painting over on top of someone another's project yeah but they, you know they don't do it willy-nilly except for that one piece do you remember, have you ever looked up bad restorations they hired a woman to restore a Renaissance painting of Jesus, and she ruined it. Uh. It looks like a third grader did it, mm. and you still can't help but laugh. And you know, real art people would kill me for saying that. But uh, I like that they restore and they keep those things, and they do a lot of homework and research in order to get it right. Like and people who do that stuff really care about that stuff. Yeah, there's people who argue like, hey, you got to restore the Golden Gate Bridge, which is what we do with the Sistine Chapel. Right. It's just preservation for both the aesthetic and and it's cultural. Hey, welcome to SF. Yes. Here's the Golden Gate Bridge. But I never got the perspective because, you know, hanging out in L.A., there's so many snobs where they just they don't even think about it. They just say, what is the most snobby, a cultural thing to say. Well, here's another thing about L.A. too: is <clears throat> we'd love to restore about 50 different things in L.A., but they're gone. We never even thought of restoring. Mean, there are so many. There's a great two-part series on PBS called "Things That Aren't There Anymore," and, it, and that's a two-part series. I mean, that's how many things aren't there anymore that we never thought of saying, "Oh, we should keep that." We just paved paradise and put up a parking lot. That's a song about. A place on the corner of Sunset and Crescent Heights where there's like a vir- the Virgin store right across the sure, street. Sure, WeHo. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a Virgin mega store there. And uh, across the street from that, there's like a McDonald's in this park. Is the Coconut Teaser still there? Yes, that's on the other Amazing. corner. Amazing. Yes, good job. Right across the street from that was a place called Allah's Garden. Okay. And it's where all the rich and famous used to go and stay. stay and it was this oasis in the middle of uh, West Hollywood and they paved paved paradise and put up a parking lot they wrecked that they sold it and they put up a parking lot and that's where that song comes from mm. can you do 10 15 more minutes yes amazing have we already well, well yes <laughs> okay we've done 47 10 or 15 will put us where the amount of time we said we were going to talk sure, sure. um in regard, you're also a big boxing fan. Yes. But before we talk about boxing, what's Did your... Did you notice I'm interested in everything? Quite a bit. My favorite Renaissance section, man. Thank you. My favorite section of the newspaper. Well, it used to be A, B, C, D, E, and F. <clears throat> now the LA Times is smaller and it's A and B because that's all there is. That's it. <laughs> Isn't it sad how like print is just going away? Yeah, it is. It, it, because I, uh, I mean... Although I'm an internet junkie and I can flip my finger through Twitter all day. Uh, but I love... Looney on Fox, by the way. Oh, yeah. Twitter.com at Looney on Fox. I love, um, 
the, the great thing about I don't know if I ever would have seen The Last Supper in person because it was because of my subscription to the LA Times and I was reading one article and flipped the page because you have to go to page three to finish it or page six and there was an article about The Last Supper and the restoration etc and where it was and how no one ever knows where it is and that's how I ended up going to see it because of you know, because I was reading one article and tripped into another. And I like, that can happen to you online too. But usually the headlines have to grab you online and you don't trip into as many articles. Um, do you come from, if you don't mind me asking, uh, from like a religious background? Yeah, I went to Catholic schools. Okay, so did I. So the, hence, was that the immediate connection and interest to both The Last Supper? Because Mona Lisa Oh, to- no. Interestingly, my uh, my grandmother's house... My mother was the youngest. My grandmother and grandfather were old. And in the in the dining room, they had this enormous... And my mother's got it now. And it's the only thing I ever tell my brother. I'm not a materialistic person. My brother tells me how much money my mother has in the bank, and I never even remember how much it is. And I have no respect <laughs> for money. But I want, I, I, um, I want uh, that Last Supper because I thought it was real people. It was black and white, and my grandmother's house was full of black and white photos. And it was a reproduction of The Last Supper, and or it is, and it's in black and white. I thought that were the real people. I thought, wow, they've got a picture of The Last Supper, all that. Because my little brain thought that. Obviously, very little brain. And uh, so I've all, Quite not. I, uh, I've, I've been obsessed with it since then. And that coupled with, not religious at all, we used to go to the lake every summer, and we didn't watch TV at the lake. So still, whenever I go to town now, I never turn on the television because of that tradition that we had. And we've turned it on twice, once for a Martin Luther King special and once for a two-part series PBS special on Leonardo da Vinci. And I became obsessed with him through that special, coupled with that painting, on uh, that reproduction on my grandmother's wall. And that's where my obsession with da Vinci came from, not from religion, but from family and lifestyles of the poor at the lake <laughs> thank you for sharing that's a, that's you know there, there's different connections but for the most part i love hear, hearing uh people's connections to a particular painting art piece musical sound right. or genre and it wasn't really religiously connected it was the memory of your grandparents and one thing that's great too about my mother is it's one thing about you take your kids to places other than disney world which sure. is cool too but if you can take your kids on vacations that you might enjoy, then we took we went to Washington to the National Gallery of Art because my mother wanted to see the Salvador Dali exhibit. Well, I had no interest in that. How old was I? Ten, eleven, twelve. But you're there, and so I didn't have a natural interest, but I had an interest through her, and I got to see all this stuff. So when your parents introduce you to things, even at a time when you think you have no interest. It still can seep into your brain. And helps you quite a bit in radio. Yes, and in life. So when someone mentions sure. Salvador Dali, you're not... You know. I am drugs. Right? That's what one of his... Uh, Melted paintings. I am drugs. Uh, I am yes. drugs. Yes. So, back to MMA and box. And when you meet Salvador Dali, what do you say when he was alive? Hello, Dali? I mean, that must have been... <laughs> I had the same problem when I met the Dalai Lama. Did you have same. that in your back pocket? Uh, uh, I always do. I have, it's just it's my same... It's, it's, I, it doubles as my Dalai Lama joke, too. So. Professionals like Tom Looney have, like, that whole AK-47 bullet <laughs> sleeves hanging right there, man, with the big-ass gun, dude. Uh, but I, you and I have something in common. We've interviewed... 
uh, Timothy Bradley. I drove all the way out there. To oh, India. great. I love He's my favorite athlete right now. I'm half Filipino. I couldn't even goddamn get a Manny Pacquiao and, for, for, for like oh, a three-minute. Manny Pacquiao is like Princess Diana in the way that I've been covering boxing for years. And I've seen him in person once, and it was a media gathering at the gym. To, but a scrum. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, But... He doesn't come down to Radio Row. We all fly to Vegas, and they fly us to Vegas a lot of times to, to cover the fights. But he, um, yeah, he is like Princess Diana. We only see him at the fights in the ring. And a lot of it is also his crew. Yeah. Well, I mean, I heard in 2007, uh, what's the hills over there where Hollywood, you could go up that runyon? Sure. Like, he would always just jog up there, and nobody would know who he was oh, until, like, yeah, and he's 2010. Griffith Park, he's been running in for years. He still does. Yep, that was it. Griffith Park. Yeah. So, uh... And Elysian Park, he runs in along for a long time. Right, he ran on those hills. He's a an East body. Side jogger, bro. Yeah, yeah, something about us East Siders, man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he treated us royally. He fed us. Uh-huh. We were right next to the HBO crew. We're talking about so, Timothy Bradley, or? yes, Timothy uh-huh. Bradley, oh. and. It's so refreshing to find He's boxers so nice. like that. He's a nice person. He ch- and wasn't that interview before the Pacquiao fight too? The second one? Correct. Yeah. And we have it on YouTube. He and- is so much fun. And when I interviewed him too, because he was doing a vegan diet while he was correct while he was uh, training. And I joked him about vegans being the skinniest, weakest people on earth. And I joked him about being from Palm Springs. I said, oh, he's from the mean streets of Palm Springs. Well, they call it the gay 90s. Everyone's gay and everyone's 90. Right. And no matter what I Well gave, played, he, sir. Oh. I want to recognize that. Well played. Thank you. And, but he could take all those jokes. He laughed and he knew that being from the mean streets of Palm Springs sounded funny. So now he and, says Indio. <laughs> yes, exactly. Indio. It's yeah. more hood. Sounds tougher. Yeah. Um, so what's your outlook into MMA as a boxing classicist uh do you dislike mma is it too foreign no that's that's pussy shit disliking mma no it's first of all those guys are amazing um and it's like saying uh you know i like chocolate ice cream strawberry sucks (laughs) (laughs) jeez they're just they're, they're so much alike um the texture the enjoyment same thing with boxing and ufc and mma those guys are amazing. Matter of fact, UFC is only going to grow because of the demographics. Blacks, whites, Latinos, and Asians all send their kids to karate class or, or yeah, into some type of martial arts. And so do poor people. So do middle class people. And so do rich people. It's a demographics dream. And so that sport's only going to grow. And those guys who do it are amazing. And there's so many different ways to lose in mixed martial arts than there is in boxing and they're changing the world they're changing our bodies people watch MMA and UFC and they see those bodies and they say I want to look like that and they go join a CrossFit gym <laughs> and injure themselves yes CrossFit I think CrossFit and, is the worst thing well what do you well, think I think it's great if you're 25 you think it's the worst thing because you're not 25 right. and I'm not either I would go every day except it's an injury waiting to happen unless you're 25 what do you think about Conor McGregor because I know you were wanting him to win against yeah, and then Nate I Diaz. cheered against him I was such a I immediately t- I, I jumped on the bandwagon immediately with Nate Diaz yes wow uh, I said, oh there you go you big mouth <laughs> oh I turned on him so fast I'm just such a terrible but I'm a but, <laughs> I'm an emotional whore. I loved the emotions I was getting. I'm, By I'm the way, Nate Diaz is also vegan. 
Is he really? Yeah. Yeah, he looks to me like just through his body type, which isn't typical UFC body type, is that he's had some weight issues over the years. He, which I, I think McGregor kind of pointed out to. He says he's a fat, thin guy. Right. And, and that's kind of always what I've been, so I think that's probably... That's really common with uh, Mexicans in boxing, where they like to build up with stamina instead of lift weights more. Where you watch, like, uh, Puerto Rican, Dominican, uh, uh, black athletes... They're really more chiseled, and a lot of Mexican Americans like to utilize conditioning more over. Uh, oh. Well, yeah, Nate's uh, six foot one fifty five, so he's like that tall guy, but like very lean. And the only reason why he couldn't get down to one fifty five to fight Connor is because he was he's already. Partying. Yeah, exactly. I don't have anything to back this up, but it does seem to be that a lot of the Mexican and Mexican American fighters who have had issues over the years. Uh, with weight, it's been with weight and food. Maybe there's more of a fat gene, and uh, Mexicans and Mexican Americans than other ethnicities. I'm just winging this. I don't know that I know this, but for example, and this is, I have a small sample size here, but the, I'm just thinking of Fernando Vargas, who, who at 19 and 20 was one of the toughest guys on the planet, and but he couldn't. He would go down to 154 and then go up to 200 and then go down to one. You can only do that so long. He had so many food issues, and remember, he blew up after he retired in weight. He had too many food issues. He couldn't deal, you know, with the, with the cutting. And it's tough when you're growing, as he was at 18, 19, 20. Guys, you know, girls go through that who are in gymnastics, who are in ice skating, and, and the guys who go through that usually are people who are in res- high school wrestling, college wrestling, fighters, because there's very few professions for men where you have to avoid eating. But when you do, and you're still at a growth hormone age, like between 13 and 23, it can screw with your head for a long time. And so a lot of the fighters who've had issues and have had short careers, it's because they can't keep their weight down. And Fernando Vargas is one of them. Well, uh, it's been a solid hour now. Well, and, let me say. And, well, according yes. to my Pro Tools. So, uh, and I know you have to professionally broadcast on Fox pretty soon. Yes. But... Um, to close, do you feel like the internet will take over the radio dashboard over like the regular car dashboard where you have to go online centric now? In closing, do you feel like you're slowly dying? <laughs> <laughs> Via technology. After Would you prefer all, euthanasia? <laughs> Seppuku by the Japanese. <laughs> Not only am I slowly dialing, we're all slowly dying. But I, um, uh, so is radio, I think, for that reason. I don't know that Internet's going to take over. It's like MMA and boxing. They'll both coexist. And not one's going to not take over the other. Maybe they'll complement each other. I worry about that. So, sure, am I in a di- am I, do I worry I'm in a dying industry? I do know that, thank God, I can do lots of things within within radio because like giving scores and highlights which is one of the things as an anchor that I do and I try to do it better and different than anybody else because I want to be the last guy doing it and I try to do it in a unique way to keep myself marketable which is and I would try to do it in a unique way anyway to stand out because that's my personality but people don't need me to give them scores and highlights they have their they have their phone so in a lot of ways and I know younger people don't want someone else picking the music for them sure um so a lot of you younger people ask them their favorite radio station. Sometimes they don't have an answer. 20 years ago, you asked a 19-year-old what their favorite radio station. You got an answer. So that's real. 
that that uh, on the other hand you know there was terrible uh hurricanes and tornadoes in joplin missouri about four or five years ago towns wiped out and the only way they could get any information in that town was portable radios because the tv towers were wiped out and the only means of communication to find out what gym to go to and where to get water and supplies, et cetera, was local radio. So I think in a local way, it may still be relevant in the long term for a long time to for come. For live centricity also. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Well, Sir Tom, thank you so much. Charles, this is great. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.